Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 and this is part 5 in our series in 1 Timothy. So by way of introduction before we continue our series in 1 Timothy I remind you that last week we spoke on one of the the most debated uh, passages in, in scripture the role of women in church and in the home. It's not because we can't understand what it's saying, it's more accepting what the instructions are. It's significant to note that just after the Apostle Paul gives instructions on what women should and should not do at church, he now sets the bar or the qualifications for the men that God has called to be pastors and elders within the church. It's important for the, for the apostle to do this because simply being a gifted and likeable male might not be, it might actually be a standard for the world, for media, for popularity and all of those things, but it isn't the final standard for God, for leaders within his church. Being a godly and upright man who has been called by God is. And I come to a passage like this with a a little fear and and trepidation. I was debating with myself whether I should be the one speaking on this very important subject. I know deep within my heart that uh, I don't always measure up to, to these requirements Having grown up in a pastor's home, I never thought ministry and its requirements would be easy. I saw the the struggle firsthand that mum and dad had to go through. And yet somehow when when I started ministry, uh, um, there was this confidence within me. I can do this. I knew little and yet felt a lot more confident in my early years of ministry. I could, pick, I could, I could preach through this text, in this, this passage in 1 Timothy with, a, you know, with, with, with ease. The words didn't hit me all that much. Not at that stage, not yet. But as the years roll by, I have learnt more and yet feel less confident to preach about it. The emotional scars of church and family life are only too real to be simply ignored and brushed aside. This is real. This is what life is. And it is indeed a high standard that the Bible sets for every elder and pastor that Christ has called to lead his church. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, the second letter to Corinthians is a very important letter for anybody who wants to be a leader in the church, to serve God in this way. And he, after describing some of the challenges in his ministry, Paul asks, and who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate? Who is good enough for these things? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. 
Then in the following chapter, he adds, in chapter 3, he continues and says, not that we are competent, competent, not that we are good enough in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God, and that is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. So every elder, every pastor, ought to have a sense of inadequacy in himself when he considers this office and if he's going to serve in this way. Not only that, but also a deep sense of God's calling for the task. It's not just something that you come up with, you wake up one morning, yes, I'm going to do it. But it is a deep sense of culminations. Now, you might have noticed that different denominations, Christian denominations of the Christian church worldwide, there are many types and colours throughout the world, many names, many different ways that they organise themselves. And, and they read a text like this, and we all of us we read the, the, the text that we have before us and we read the book of Acts and we read the apostles' letters and, and we have, we've come up with different conclusions on how to organise the church, the structure of the church. This is largely because in the Bible there is, we must be honest, there is limited information on the organising of the structure of the church. How is the church to be organised? How do you make decisions? How do you choose your leaders? There is little guidance on the office of, of the office of pastors and elders and deacons and how they relate to, to each other. There is information there, but it's not, it doesn't give you every detail. For example, the Anglicans and the Baptists and the Pentecostals have different forms of church government. While the Baptists are more congregational in, in how they vote, every member gets to have a say and a, and a vote to elect leaders, the Anglicans are more hierarchical. Pentecostals tend to just have the people on the top and then you just come to church. The decision is made. You have very little say on how things are done in the church. In the New Testament design, there seems to be some flexibility in the structure because the emphasis is rather on the character of its leaders. So why do we need leaders like elders and pastors in churches? Let's just come together, you know. Let's just hang out. Well, we have leaders, pastors, elders, because this is what the Bible says. And in our Baptist church, we have a process where the congregation elects those who would serve as elders. And when the pastor leaves, you get to choose who will lead the church as a pastor. We get to elect our elders here at Liverpool uh, every three years. 
Some might see it as a, as a bit of a political process where, you know, you, you go and, and uh, lobby for who you want elected and all that type of thing. But that is not the biblical way. The biblical way is not a political process, not according to the scriptures. But there is, a, there is an important thing here that I think sometimes we, we miss. And, and, and to the Ephesian church, the Apostle Paul writes that it is in fact Jesus who gave offices to the church. Have you thought about that? It is the Lord of the church who gives offices to the church. This is, where do we get this? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Well, hang on. I, I thought it's, it's the pastors and the elders who are supposed to do the work and the deacons. No, they are there to equip you to do the work of service. Well, I thought I'd just turn up to church and, you know, just listen and, you know, it's all good, bro. Let them do the work. Put your offering in the plate and pay them to do it. No. The, the, the model of the service is that we are to equip you to do the work of ministry. Any, any other type of model, you know, all these professionals that, that, that are paid to do the work, it might work for bigger churches. But the original church was always about equipping the people to be Christ in the community. Now, if Jesus gives you a gift, it's because he knows that you need it. So the gift of leadership, pastors and teachers, is something that he has given to his church for a reason. In his pastoral letter to Titus, Paul gave him instructions to appoint elders in every town, Titus 1.5. So, so elders in churches, and when I use the name elders or pastors, or overseers, I will explain that, but it's basically the same title, it's the same position within, within the church. So elders in churches are clearly something very important, extremely important in the life of the congregation. And for that reason, it's appropriate that we, we spend some time, spend a sermon at least, on elders, because this is what we have in the Scriptures. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not an elder. I don't want to be an elder. So why do I need to hear about this? Well, because while the calling to be an elder has come from God, the qualifications are set out in the Scriptures. And in our church, our Baptist church, we have a congregational Government. And so the church has to discern those qualifications and ultimately decide which men you, you elect to lead you. And once they have been appointed to that position, to submit to their leadership. 
In other words, if you discern from God that this is indeed the calling, that these men have been chosen to serve, you need to follow God's calling in submitting to them as well, which is what we looked at last week. So the congregation needs to recognise, prayerfully recognise these qualifications in those men. So you need to prayerfully think about this very important matter for your own spiritual well-being, for the well-being of the church to which you belong or you want to belong to. So first of all, verse 1, having given you all that explanation, let me go now to the first verse in our text. A noble task, a noble task. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, desires a noble task. The word for overseer is that the original word in Greek which is used here is episkopos, from which the word bishop comes from. Uh, Episkopos is is a word that you get scope, um, microscope or telescope, that's where the word comes from. Somebody who has has an oversight, a view, a larger view of things. So the, the word bishop comes from that. He is he's a leader with oversight in the church. In other places, he's also sometimes called an elder. That's the word is presbyteros, and the word and presbyteros is the the title of elders in the Presbyterian Church. We have bishops in the Anglican Church and there are bishops in the Catholic Church. And in the Baptist Church, in Church of Christ, we have pastors and the word is poimen, which means a shepherd. So the best way to to see it is that they represent slightly slightly different aspects of the same office or position of leadership within the church. And it could be even the same person who is called to wear a different hat. Sometimes he will be an overseer. Sometimes he will be an elder. Sometimes he will be a pastor. Especially in smaller churches, that's what tends to happen. So, for example, as an overseer, as a a bishop, he has to take care of the church as a whole. He looks at the whole body of the church, the flock. As a pastor, he will be more inclined to look at perhaps the more important pastoral care issues of the individual who is not, who is struggling, who is perhaps a little bit stray, you know, the, the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes look for the one, whereas the overseer stays back home and looks for the, for the 99 who are left. You know the story. There are times when tensions emerge between care for the overall flock versus concern for the individual who is perhaps not submitting to the leadership. All you need to do is read the book of Acts. 
read the pastoral epistles and you, know, you will know that this tension is there a lot of the times. While you might not agree with every decision that is made, you need to accept it. There are issues that cannot be published to the rest of the church, that the rest of the church, because of privacy issues and all of that, you cannot know. But there are things in the background that you, you have to trust. This is the reason why you have elected us, to lead you. And this was a, what, the, the problem in the church at Ephesus and Corinth and Crete, where Titus was, this was a real issue. That's why the instructions are given. That's why the letters are written. Timothy, you have to deal with this. Titus, you have to deal with that. Make sure that you do deal with it. Make sure you tell them to stop what they're doing. He doesn't tell them, I know you don't like to do this, Timothy, but, you know. No, he tells them, you need to do this. This is why you have been appointed. This is why you have been called. I like what uh, Abraham Lincoln once said. You can please some of the people all of the time. You can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. And it's important to know that it is indeed a noble task and a good thing to aspire to serve as an elder, as a pastor. Uh, In politics, in business, in education, in establishments like universities, in in government jobs, in in companies, being ambitious, getting that promotion is, is seen as being a very positive thing and you have to fight your way to the top, as they say. But when it comes to the church, the spiritual leadership isn't about the titles and honour and the glory. It's about servanthood. You want to go up, you have to go down. You want to go big, you have to go small. In fact, it was Jesus who said, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be the last of all and servant of all. So it is indeed a great and serious task, which is often difficult, seemingly impossible, frustrating, terrifying and heartbreaking. Yet it can also be exciting, wonderful, encouraging and sublime. As you can probably gather, the calling carries with it the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And these elders, they were not chosen just because they, they volunteered, because they put their hand up, nor were they chosen because they are seen as natural leaders. Instead, They should be chosen primarily on how they match the qualifications that we're going to be looking at. And some of you might be thinking, surely it can't be that hard, can it? 
Again, the qualifications for leadership have nothing to do with giftedness or how likeable and popular they are, how good-looking. Unfortunately, that is what, exactly what happens in many churches. And, and we skip through some of these things that are, that are essential. And what qualifies a man for spiritual leadership is godly character established according to these criteria. So you don't appoint a pastor and, 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 and then say, well, his son has to be the youth leader because he's the pastor's son or the, the pastor's daughter because they suddenly belong to the dynasty because, you know, they belong, they have, that family has the blessing. No, that's not the way it works. Each individual is accountable before God. Verse 2, he is to be above reproach. In some ways, this is an umbrella statement that covers everything that will follow. The Greek word has the idea of not having anything in your life that the enemy can get a hold of. Uh, In politics, they say that everyone has a number, has something on everyone else. And if you are struggling with somebody else, you just leak something to the media and then they'll fix it. They'll, you know, oh, there's information about so-and-so. That's the way they work. For an elder or a pastor, it doesn't mean that they have never done anything wrong. If that were the case, then none of us should be here. Pastors and elders are favourite targets when it comes to criticism because of their position. So when these arise, they need to be handled with wisdom, a lot of care. It says he has to be faithful to his wife, verse 2. It literally means a one-woman man. The term is is actually a bit ambiguous and, and for this reason somewhat controversial. Because of this, different interpretations have been put forth. Some see this as anybody who has been divorced. They cannot be a pastor. Others see it as a prohibition of polygamy. Others see it as a prohibition to remarry. So this would be disqualifying anybody who has been, you know, divorced and remarried and, and, and being able to, to be able to hold a, a leadership position within the church. But the word basically means that an elder must be faithful to his wife and not a philanderer. Not somebody who chases after women. He is to be temperate, verse 2. The idea of someone who is not given to extremes of ups and downs. He is calm, even when under pressure. He is not to be flighty or nervous, constantly jumping from one thing to another. He is to be self-controlled, verse 2. Another version of, another Bible version has sober-minded. This describes the person who is able to think clearly. He has a kind of inner peace. 
level-headed, steady. He doesn't live by his feelings. If we live by our feelings, one day we're up, next day we're down, and we go around and around. Put that aside and you live in obedience to God's word. Despite the fact that we do acknowledge our feelings. Sometimes we're hurt. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. Go back to God's word in obedience to him. He is to be respectable, verse 2. The the word really means orderly or or dignified. Uh, we, We don't mean respectable the way that we, the world understands respectable because that your, your respect comes out of your family name. Uh, the good family name. Oh, that family. Or, or, or the town where you grew up or the area where you live or your, your title or your education or your position in the workplace or in government. This is how respectable leaders are defined in the world. But this is not how they are chosen. They're supposed to be chosen in the church, yet many times it happens. Just because you're a doctor doesn't qualify you as an elder within a church. You might have a lot of respect in the community, but it doesn't mean that you're called to serve the church just because you have a title. You might. But it doesn't necessarily, it's not automatic. We sometimes forget that our Saviour was a humble carpenter and his disciples were fishermen. They did not come from the upper echelons of society in what the world would define as respectable. He is to be hospitable. He used to be hospitable. The original, in verse 2, the original means a lover of strangers. His home is to be open to strangers and to the, to the people of the church. Um, in, in, that, in those days, there was a lot of persecution that used to go on. So Christians were constantly on the move because of their faith. They were persecuted and persecuted from one city. They moved to the next, to the next. Where would they go? The first call were the Christians in such and such a town. For this reason, it's not just the elders who are called to be hospitable, but in fact, all Christians are to practice hospitality. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And more than that, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 4, 9, that if you are going to practice hospitality, it's to be done without grumbling. Grumbling, oh no, they're not coming over, are they? Oh, those rotten kids. If you're going to do it, don't complain, don't grumble. Don't grumble about the dirt they left behind. You're doing a service for God. Just remember that. A colleague and and friend of mine who recently visited his home country of Romania 
told me that almost half the families in the Baptist churches that he visited, almost half the families in the Baptist churches that he visited had Ukrainian families staying with them for months on end because of the war back home. That's what hospitality looks like. And I'm hearing the same thing happens in Poland uh, as well. That's what it looks like. Able to teach, verse 2. Uh, let me just give you one illustration before I move on. Years ago, a couple of decades ago, somebody came to when we were meeting in Liverpool Church. Um, knock on the door. The guy looked desperate. From, he was from overseas and saying, I'm desperate, I need somewhere to stay. I didn't know the guy from a bar of soap. He, was, he came from overseas. He had his family back in New Zealand. He knew nobody in the area. Um, he, um, he was in the process of getting his, his medical degree recognised, but he had nowhere to stay. And so I checked up on his church back in New Zealand. Everything checked out. And he came and stayed with us for months with my family. Uh, he then got his, his medical degree recognised and as, as a doctor. He then moved to, to Adelaide. And uh, just uh, about a month ago, I touched base with him. I hadn't heard of him for a couple of decades. He now serves, he has a clinic in a, in a poor area. He, he serves, he has about, you know, people working for him. He owns the whole clinic. And he's saying, I want to thank you because at a time in special need in my life, you helped me. And you're saying, wow, isn't it good to be used by God in such a way? I'm not saying to, to big note me, I'm just saying that this is the way it works. Anyone, any one of us can, can do this at times, but it is a risk, especially when you don't know who these people right? right? But um, this one worked out really well and, and I'm, I'm so pleased for him. He has a family, he's you know, all that, so it's great to see how, what God can do sometimes. Able to teach is the next one in verse 2. This is a crucial requirement for elders and pastors. In this regard, it's important to, to heed what, what James has to say to the church. And there's a reason why... James says this because everybody wanted to teach. Everybody wanted to be on top. And, and, and James says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James chapter 3, verse 1. You might have noticed that all of these requirements that, that are mentioned for elders and pastors are character related. They are related to character, not giftedness. So this is the only one which re refers to giftedness, the gift of teaching. So there might be godly men in a congregation who fulfill all these character requirements, but they don't have the gift of teaching. And we will see... Next week, that the, those who are deacons, a deacon is not required to have the teaching ability. It's useful, but it isn't required. 
That's because teaching is not the primary task of a deacon, whereas it is a primary task of an elder, of a pastor. He must be able to expound the scriptures, to be able to to teach, to correct those who are misusing the scriptures and they have to be able to correct according to the scriptures. So the primary task of elders, like the apostles in the church at Jerusalem, was the ministry of the word. This meant teaching, preaching, studying, learning the word of God and through prayer to discern the will of God for the church. That is the primary task of a pastor and elder. Not a drunkard. Verse 3. The word is not given to drunkenness. Now, the Bible does not prohibit all drinking of alcoholic beverages, but it does condemn abuse, dependency and drunkenness. The fact that our Lord and the disciples drank wine, was a, it was a common experience of the day. But it was never to be overindulged. However, having said that, in, in situations where it might cause a, a young brother or a young Christian, somebody who's a recovering alcoholic, for example, if it's going to cause them to stumble. Just, you don't need to have a drink. Just don't do it in front of them anyway. Don't show off your freedom, the Apostle Paul says. Don't take advantage of it if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble. Not violent, verse 3, not violent, but gentle. He is not a contentious, angry man who is always looking for an argument or a fight. It goes without saying that there is no place in a Christian home for physical violence or threats, and neither there is to be one in the church. Earlier in, earlier in, in this letter, in, in 1 Timothy, the apostle described his former life. He described himself as being a violent man. But all that changed when he was met by Christ and he was called to the ministry. But Paul was a violent man. That's what he said. Not quarrelsome, verse 3. The word really means stubborn. Someone who always insists on having their own way, no matter what. You know that having a thick skin is, is an important quality in, uh, in being a pastor or an elder. Having a hardened heart that refuses to acknowledge when you might be wrong is not. So... Thick skin is one thing, but hardened heart is something else. Not a lover of money. Riches, as we know, are not wrong per se, but they are spiritually dangerous, especially for an elder. He must not only, he must not only have a, a righteous attitude towards money and be an example, but he must also be, be generous in his giving and be an example for the church. And as part of his duty, he needs to make decisions as to how, do we, how we're going to spend the money that has been collected, how we're going to manage what, what God has given us. We have to be good stewards of the church's resources. 
he must be, says here, a good father. Verse, verses 4 to 5, he, must, he says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now, obviously, this only applies if the leader is, is married, and indeed, if he's married, if he has kids. They might be single, or they might not be able to have kids. It, it, it doesn't necessarily apply also if, if, if the kids are grown up and, and have left home or in their marriage. You know, there, there is a time when you are no longer responsible for the behaviour of your children. And as we know, not all our, all our children are walking with the Lord. The word used here is small children. Are his children obedient or are they out of control in the church? Usually pastors and elders' children and deacons' kids are under more scrutiny than others. It's a bit like, a bit like uh, living in a fishbowl. Oh, Look at the pastor's kids. Look how they're behaving. You're pointing at the pastor's kids because that doesn't make you feel as bad because of your own kids, right? So you need to, right? It's a bit like living in an aquarium many times. Over the years, I've had plenty of advice about how I should bring up my kids, I must say. So I thank you for all of your advice. Noted. Yes, I too was a pastor's kid. And I have kids of my own, grown up now. It doesn't mean that you should never have any problems in your family. And let me tell you from personal experience that one of the favourite ways that the enemy uses to get to the pastor is through his family. He's going to get to you one way or another. He's going to try to anyway. And the whole church then observes how he handles these problems. Mature Christian, verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. The, the problem with a, with a new Christian is that although he has a, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion and willingness to, to serve and get into it, to follow the Lord with all his heart, he doesn't have the wisdom and experience to lead others, not yet anyway. You can't have a bull, you know, out of a gate and, and released to cause damage to everybody else. If he's put in office too soon, the sudden exposure to public leadership will put, you know, will puff him up and make him proud, arrogant, conceited, and this creates more problems. That's what the advice must not be a recent convert. Must have a good reputation, verse 7. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Do you notice how? A couple of times already he's mentioned the devil's trap. Of others, those in the have a good reputation in the eyes of others. 
And we talk about the eyes of others, those in the community, those who are not Christians. There is a fine line that the Christian is always walking in the world. Yes, our allegiance is first and foremost with God. But this is no excuse to avoid paying your bills, having a bad reputation. If you're going to suffer, make sure it's because of your faith and not because you're a shyster. In business, you're ripping people off. You're not being persecuted, you're just being an idiot. Remember Daniel, chapter 6, verse 5. Remember what he went through in chapter 6, verse 5. Finally, these men said, these men who were after him, right? These men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. That is what living above reproach looks like. The reputation amongst unbelievers. So he he should be recognised in the community as a man of proper conduct. His business dealings should be honest. They should be right. This should be true for all Christians, but especially for those who are in leadership positions. Because an elder, a pastor, ministers to the flock, he represents the church to the outside world. A bad reputation in the community will soon become the church's bad reputation as well. So in conclusion, we should encourage those who want to serve. It is a noble task, those who want to serve as leaders in the church. Those who do so desire a good and a noble task. As long as you are doing it with the right motivation, as long as you are doing it in service to God and his people. The qualities we have mentioned here are are such that we should all, whether you're a leader or not, we should all be striving for these qualities as Christians. This is just a privilege reserved for, for the leaders. A church is only as strong as its leadership So, being a leader, being a pastor, being part of the elders, I plead with you to continue to pray for us. Encourage us when you get the chance. Pray for God to raise up more leaders. Maybe we bring up leaders who would lead this church or maybe send leaders to other churches or to the mission field. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And what I've shared with you today is, I've tried to share from from the heart, because looking back after 30, 35 years of ministry, looking back, there's a lot of roadkill that I have seen of all The guys that have been in my year, that have graduated from my year, none of them are in ministry anymore. I'm on the board of Malling Malling College and I can tell you that the majority of students who are going to Malling College don't go to prepare for ministry, they go to learn theology. 
but for leadership in the church, it's getting harder and harder to get people to come and serve as a pastor, as an elder in churches. So make sure that this is a priority in your prayer life, that God would raise up leaders for the future and in the present. They may learn to serve God with all their heart. It is a noble, indeed, a noble and privileged position to do so. But boy, a lot of responsibility. May God bless you. May God bless us as we strive to serve him. Amen.